welcome to the podcast, Biblical Question. We are excited you've taken time out of your day to listen to our podcast. For more information about us, you may visit our website at biblicalquestion.com. We will tell you the web address again at the show's end. We encourage you to open your Bible and follow along as we study the Bible. Now here is your host, Joseph. Thank you for that introduction. I am glad that you have taken time out of your day to listen to us, to, to download this podcast. I certainly hope and pray all is well with you and your family, and that God is blessing you. Today we're going to uh, talk about the second thief on the cross, uh, maybe from a different viewpoint that you've heard before. Uh, given very little information about my history and background, it's been very intentional uh, for lots of reasons, but I'm going to expose myself just a little bit here and and let you know that uh, I did have a law enforcement background many, many years ago. A lot of water's gone under the bridge since then, but I want to use the Miranda warning as an example uh, in this podcast. When a police officer arrests a suspect, uh, the first thing they do, and they are required by law today, to do is read you your rights, better known as the Miranda warning. Uh, you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. You have a right to an attorney before any questioning, and it goes on. Of course, the officer always asks you, do you understand your rights? And, of course, most people say yes, and most people waive them, which may or may not always be a good thing. But, again, the official name for this process is called the Miranda Warning. And, again, when somebody's been arrested uh, or a suspect is being questioned by the police, they often refer to or ask the, the captain or the lieutenant will ask you, has he been Mirandized? And that just simply means, did you read him his rights? Very few people today, and especially in the United States, realize that Miranda warning originated from a Supreme Court ruling in 1966. A young man by the last name of Miranda, that's where the law comes from, out of the state of Arizona. He'd been in and out of juvenile courts for almost a decade. He had a really long record that included convictions for armed robbery, assault, burglary, attempted rape. And really, the police suspected him of really being a, a sexual predator. And he was arrested in March of 1963, and he's charged with stealing $8 from a Phoenix uh, resident there. Police really were after him for something else. They actually had an interest in him in regards to a rape that had occurred in which he was considered the prime suspect. They questioned him for two hours, and they really, they bluffed him, and they suggested that a woman who had been assaulted 11 days earlier had picked him out of a lineup, a photo lineup, and he will go on to sign a written confession that he actually raped uh, this woman. And he will receive a sentence between 20 and 30 years in the state penitentiary for kidnapping and rape uh, of an 18-year-old woman. 
And his lawyers attempt to get this conviction overturned, arguing that Miranda really had never been informed of his constitutional rights. The case went all the way up to the Supreme Court, and a 5-4 to four ruling, the court agreed, and the conviction was overturned in June of 1966. Miranda eventually would be tried for a second time, convicted of the crime, went to prison, and served almost 10 years in total, and he was paroled in December of 1972. Now, not a lot of that has to do with the Bible, but we're going to get into that. So, on January 1976, Miranda got into a fight again in Phoenix over a $3 bet. He would go into the restrooms to get the blood off of his hands because he had just stabbed to death somebody. So, he he's arrested again. And... As a suspect, I mean, he chooses to exercise his Miranda rights. And believe me, the officers probably knew who this guy really was. And he's released. He was 34 uh, years old when he died. So this man by the last name, Miranda, he's not really what we would call a model citizen, uh, not a very nice guy. And throughout his life, he'd been involved again with armed robbery, assaults, burglary, attempted rape. He died as he lived as a violent man. And some might say that his death uh, was received, that it was just truly deserved. When Jesus was crucified, he was put to death between two thieves. They were guilty men. And one of them actually would just say, so, we are guilty of our crimes. We are simply being put to death for those crimes. So they were violent men. They preyed on the innocent. They assaulted the defenseless. They took from the rich and the poor, and they gave it to themselves. Some scholars believe that they were part of a gang run by a violent man by the name of Barabbas, and that he had been, been scheduled to be executed as well that day. Of course, we know the name of Barabbas from the fact that Pontius Pilate attempted to save Jesus from execution by offering to free either Jesus or Barabbas. Fully believing that Barabbas and his background was so vile, everybody in the crowd would definitely prefer Jesus to be released and not a man that you just simply would not want to meet in a dark alley somewhere. But the crowd preferred Jesus. They preferred to watch Jesus die. And so on Calvary that day, Jesus shared his fate with two thieves who faced the penalty for their sins, death on a cross. There were two thieves who died that day. Today, on this podcast, I I want to focus on the second one. The second thief was not the most, what most people think uh, when they get this picture or this scene. Most people, when they hear about the thief on the cross, uh, they think of uh, 
to a thief to whom Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. And that thief made a choice to follow Jesus. He reached out to Christ as he was dying, and he received that promise. But the second thief didn't get that promise. Because, unlike the first man, the second thief chose poorly. And this podcast, you know, that's really what I try to talk about. This man actually curses Jesus. He insults Jesus. As Jesus was led up the mountain to the place of his execution, the thieves were were dragging their crosses right along beside Jesus. You don't get that picture uh, in the movies, but they also would be dragging their cross too. It's just part of the punishment. They saw the crowds uh, that had gathered to watch Jesus die. Because most people wouldn't have gave two cents for two thieves to be uh, hung on a cross. Uh, people who had committed other violent type cross. Uh, crimes, excuse me. And as Jesus was placed on his cross, they may have noted that he didn't curse like they had. Uh, Jesus is actually remaining silent and not really talking a whole lot. They heard those who passed by, I mean, hurling insults at him, shaking their heads, saying, uh, you're going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days? Save yourself and come down from that cross if you really are the Son of God. In the same way, they listened to the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders mock Jesus. But Jesus does not respond to his accusers. And when Jesus does speak of those who are tormenting and executing him, he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. How does these thieves react to all this drama? Well, they join in the abuse. They both curse him. Matthew chapter 27, verse 44 says, In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults at him. But there were somewhere along the line, something changes in that first thief. Something shook him to the point where he actually pled with Jesus to remember him. And part of it could have been the stories he'd heard about Jesus. Maybe he had heard Jesus preaching and teaching somewhere along the way. Perhaps he heard how Jesus taught such powerful stories and parables. How he healed the sick, the lame, demon-possessed people, the gossip how he raised a young girl from uh, her deathbed, Lazarus walking out of his tomb. Something along the way influences him, how Jesus uh, was responding to the hatred around him. And I'm sure it was probably all part of it. But what changed the first thief's heart was the words of the thief on the other side of Jesus. Luke 23, 39 through 40, one of the criminals who were hung were hurling insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. 
Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? He's not just a man who steals money from others for a living. He's the type of man who taunts his victim and and grinds him into the dirt, so to speak. Here's a man who despises weakness and submission. Humility and righteousness are curse words to him. This second thief is not a nice man. He's used to stealing, not only the possessions of his victims, but also their dignity. And Jesus, this second thief, sees just another pathetic weakling to be preyed upon before he dies. Now, the first thief hears all this abuse, and Jesus is enduring, and, and he has apparently just enough, about, enough of it. He's heard more than he cares to hear, and he begins to defend Jesus. Again, Luke 23, verses 40 and 41. Do you, don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. I'm sure all of us have witnessed this type of activity in our life where we call it bullying or a thug or whatever term that you use. And perhaps you've seen somebody actually come to the rescue and say, hey, you know, you're not being very nice. You need to stop that. And just like those troubled people, uh, this troubled thief on the cross begins to defend Jesus. And then, having defended him, his doubts give way to the hope that the stories that he's really heard about Jesus are true. And that's why he is defending Jesus. This first thief, he speaks of hope. Just remember me, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom. He, he says that in verse 42. And I've heard about this kingdom, he's saying, and I want to be part of that. And that is what the first thief had heard others talking about. He wants that. So now I can understand the actions and the words of the first thief. But what about the second one? Why on earth would this man behave so badly as he does? Jimmy Carter used the same rationale to explain widespread looting in the 1977 New York blackout. Obviously, the number one contributing factor to crime of all kinds, he said, is high unemployment among people. 45% of the arrested looters had jobs. Okay, I mean, you can go research this. Only 10% of the people are actually on welfare type, receiving welfare, food stamps, free housing, whatever. The study went on, okay, to talk about the things that were stolen really had no use or no need. These people didn't have any need for this. Chuck Colson actually did this uh, survey, by the way. 
But the second thief wasn't any different. He probably wasn't stealing because he was fighting his way out of poverty. And so if that wasn't the reason, what was? It, it might help to compare how two thieves looked at God. The first thief had fallen into sin. He had lived a life that he knew God hated, but in the back of his sin-stained heart, he still perhaps believed that God could forgive him. He still wanted to believe in a God that cared enough about him to reach into his life. And he repents on the cross. So this argument that you don't have to be baptized to be saved you don't have to, you know, and I've heard them all. Well, first of all, this thief recognizes his sin, his need of forgiveness, and this is why he repents. The second thief apparently does not believe in God. The second thief has long since rejected the idea that God even existed. This talk about Jesus having power from God is a myth and a hoax as far as this man was concerned. And that's part of the reason he shows such consent for Jesus as he's dying. I mean, he's not coming off that cross. If a Roman executioner nailed you to a, a cross, you're, the only way you're coming down is after you're dead. If this king of Jews could actually save them from this horrible death, he'd be okay with all of that. But when he said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us, in verse 39. He's not looking for forgiveness of sins. He does not want to change who he is or what he is. He's simply just mocking and saying he'd appreciate coming down off that cross. He doesn't want to change himself. He doesn't show any signs of repentance. He doesn't show any signs of acknowledging that he is sinful. And he doesn't believe any of the messages that Christ himself has presented in his ministry. The second thief's whole life has been built around that the belief that God doesn't exist for him. In his whole life, and now his death, He's an atheist. His whole life has been dedicated to evil, godlessness, lifestyle. And since there's no God in his life, well, somebody has to be in charge. And if there's no God, who's left to decide what's best for him? And of course, that answer for anybody in this position is him. We have that so much in our world today. We have it in the church as well. It's all about me, myself, and I. And if you don't believe me, just ask me. Okay? I'm poking fun and using a play on words, but this is really the, the heart of the issue. This man is in charge of his own life, and since he's in charge of his own life, he's going to decide what's right and wrong. Again, there are really many really nice atheists in this world. I, there are lots of atheists out there who would make excellent neighbors and friends and so on. In fact, they may even fall 
a, a golden rule, not even realize that that's what they're doing, this idea of do unto others. But these folks that might be nice are not necessarily doing it for the right reasons uh, because they have decided that this lifestyle that they are in, they find it more pleasing. And this is true for any atheist. There are really no rights or wrongs. There really have no good or evil ways because good and evil, right and wrong, all depend on your point of view. To have absolute law of right and wrong gives us presumption an absolute lawgiver. And if this is something that they're, they're going to just flat out reject. And so for the true atheist, like the thief on the cross, even the golden rule has a negotiation point. Whether you get your gold from the golden rule or from some other bucket or somebody else's back pocket, it doesn't matter. It's all what you decide what is right for you. You see, with that God in the picture, you are the God of your life. You know, this idea of secular humanism comes into play. I am my own God. I will live how I want to live, and I don't care what anybody else says or thinks about it. No, they don't care what's acceptable or what's not acceptable. So the second thief lived this life of a true atheist. But he also died the death of a true atheist. Even in his last moments on earth, he is violent, uncaring, who, who cures the darkness in the faces of an uncertain future. There's a talk show host by the name of Dennis Prager, and he's noted, if there is no God, we live, we suffer, we die, and there's only obliviation afterward. And this is how the second thief viewed life and death. Atheists often say how much better life would be without God. Whether... It's a comedian uh, by the name of, I believe it's pronounced Bill Maher. Maher? I don't watch this stuff, so I don't know. I'm just reading an article here. And Christopher Hudson say they all embrace the wisdom of men and the insights of humanism, and they declare that man would be better far off as a captain of his own destiny. They, they embrace the words and things in a poem entitled Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as a pit from pole to pole, I think whatever God's may be for my unconquerable soul, in the fell clutch of circumstances, I have not winched nor cried aloud. Under the bulging of my chance, my head is bloody and unbowed. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments of the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And that is really how the second thief lived his life and how he died. 
And reality without Christ is to be the, the salt of the world, the light of our lives. Has, it becomes almost unbearable. You see, atheism has already been tried and has failed as a basis for society. When the communist rule of the Soviet Union finally crumbled years ago, there was a huge number of conversions from atheism. At least 22% of the population at large said that once the atheists, now they believed in God. And I know a man personally who has really worked hard with the Russian people. But there's also was another experiment in atheism, and it's right here in the United States. Back in the 1800s, liberal Missouri decided to become completely atheist. Religion was not allowed within the city limits. No church could exist within the city, and religious people were encouraged not to live in town. What happened was the crime and the immorality became so rampant that city failed. And they finally asked churches to come back and establish a religious base for morality in the legal system in town. I say again, without Christ as the salt of our world, the light of our lives becomes almost unbearable. Our own sinful ways and that of our neighbors would become too much to bear. And that is why when Jesus died for our sins, he was crucified between two sinners. I believe this was deliberate, prophesied, and it had to be planned. And I say that because Isaiah 53, verse 9 and verse 12. He was assigned a grave with the wicked. He poured out his life into death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. So, you know, Jesus died in the midst of sinners to bring forgiveness and healing to all sinners. I hope as we wind down this podcast that you would make the right choice if you are not a true follower of Christ. That you would allow Jesus to, to offer you that same promise to, to have eternity with him. Or are you going to reject him and face eternity of despair? And I so wish I would have listened to that gospel message one more time had or two. I certainly hope that you really would uh, continue to tell others about us, how you found us, uh, tell people. That has barely been our greatest uh, blessing of all when others truly listen on a consistent basis. Uh, we've had listeners since day one that listen every week, and we know that's a challenge. But we are really appreciating all of our listeners no matter where you're at in the world, no matter where you might be walking in your life, that if you would just continue to read instead of your Bible, seek out other faithful followers. The problem with uh, so many uh, churches, and especially in America, is 
it, again, I've said it before, it's a country club type uh, attitude and look. Find a group of people that is teaching the complete word of God, that are going to teach you how to be a follower of Christ, to help you to be able to reproduce yourself. Now, I think that's something that we miss too, to teach the entire word of God, to teach others so the next generation will know who God is and how great our God is. And it is not ourselves. It is the creator of the universe and the giver of life through blood of, of Christ on the cross. Again, thank you for listening. I certainly hope and pray that you will join us again next week. We pray that uh, all of our listeners are doing well, especially for the persecuted church, that you would pray for this ministry as we continue to push forward each and every week. Thank you again. May God bless you. May He have the glory. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Be sure to hit the like button and follow us on your podcasting app. Please check out our website at biblicalquestion.com. All one word, all lowercase. In addition, we have a prayer request page, a way of contacting us, a statement of faith, and other resources for our listeners. Do you have a Bible question you would like answered on a future podcast? or prayer request. We would be honored to hear from you and add your prayer request to our list so others may pray for you. Subscribe to our newsletter and follow us on our social media accounts. Again, that is biblicalquestion.com. Thank you and may he have the glory.